On this episode of the BYO Nano Podcast, there are innovations in the microscopic world of yeast. And from thiols to hybrids, we'll discuss the best practices and paths forward. This is John Hall, and welcome to episode 38. Just a quick word on content. This show is for nano brewers, both existing and in planning. So tell us what you want to hear. What are the topics that you want to learn about? What issues are you interested in? And who are the brewers you want to hear from? Email us. It's nano at byo.com. And now on to the show. There's so much innovation and excitement happening in the world of raw brewing ingredients. On this episode, we're going to go into the research and development lab with Laura Burns of Omega Yeast, and then into the brew house of Maplewood Brewing in Chicago to talk about how to best put new strains to work for your small brewery and your beers. But first, a word of thanks to this episode's sponsors, and we hope you'll give them a closer look. Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today or go to grainfather.com to learn more. We're also brought to you by Fermentus. Hey, nano brewers, discover Safe Brew BR 8 by Fermentus, the first dry bread for secondary fermentation in bottle and casks. Discover this yeast strain, which helps you add a slightly funky, specific phenolic character to your beers. Available in 100 gram and 5 grams packaging. Discover more about Safe Brew BR 8 or other yeasts by visiting fermentus.com. Don't forget, you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nano plus for more details. Let's get into the conversations. Laura Burns, PhD, is the Director of Research and Development at Omega Yeast. After studying stress responses in Saccharomyces cerevisiae for her graduate thesis at Vanderbilt University, she decided the best place to apply this knowledge was in brewing. She worked in production brewing for five years as head brewer and director of quality assurance before heading back to the bench at Omega Yeast. Her undeniable curiosity drives her to tackle difficult questions that brewers face daily. Burns, by the way, will also be holding a yeast online workshop with BYO on the afternoon of Friday, February 24th, 2023. You can learn more at byo.com. She joined me via Zoom. So it's pronounced thiols and it seems to be everywhere these <laughs> days. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I, I can't walk through a brewer's conference of any size or a brewery without hearing the word sort of pop up in, 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 in the background. Um, I know a lot of breweries are using them. I know um, companies like Omega have been putting out a lot of information on these. Can you give us a quick primer as to you know what they are and why are they grabbing so much attention these days? 
Sure. Yeah. So one, they're, they're really honestly ubiquitous in nature and they're just like an alcohol, but with, instead of an OH group and SH group. So thiol is really just describing more sulfur containing compounds. Um, and when, I guess one reason why they grab a lot of attention is because they're extremely odor active. They're super potent. Um, so they make a huge impact in beverages, uh, but also it can range from, you know, I think common sources of thiols in kind of an everyday life would be, you know, tropical fruits like guava, passion fruit, grapefruit. Um, those give key signature thiol aromas that we talk about in beer. And um, then talking about coffee, that's one of the more um, studied compounds for the roasty character in coffee. And then, you know, cannabis is certainly massively talked about with like kind of its skunky and dank aromas. And those are, those are, uh, thiol compounds as well. So in nature, pretty wide, uh, range of aromas that come from these compounds. But when we were talking about beer, um, we're typically talking about the like more tropical, uh, aromas. So coming from a couple of key thiol compounds that are in beer and can be, um, even more pronounced with the use of some of the new yeast strains that are out that are releasing thiols and fermentations. Has advancements in cannabis production and cannabis interest, did that help sort of fuel some of this on in beer in the last couple of years? You know, I think that they've been kind of more parallel to be honest, but okay. um, the one industry that fueled a lot of the research that's done in um, beer is actually wine. Um, so these thiol compounds come out in, um, certain wine, um, varieties like Sauvignon Blanc and have been studied really intensely in the wine arena, like mainly also in relation to how yeast are freeing them up in fermentation. So a ton of, um, kind of information from the wine fermentation research has been a, definitely a big kind of like foundation for what we've been doing in beer. See, wine is good for something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, I mean there's it gets so many real, letters now. Yeah. Yeah. There's some real interesting, um, dialed, dialed forward wines out there that are, that are really just very distinct. And I think if you study some of that with just some, you know, t- grab a couple of bottles of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, bring it home. And, and then you'll start to see familiarities between what we're getting out of um, these beer fermentations and how it relates to wine. So talk to me about some of the fermentations and where some of these uh, thiolized yeasts are making an impact. You know, where, where have you seen, I don't know, they're, they're, they're most put to best use? Well, I think, honest, it's more just amplifying tropical aroma um, okay. as the as the approach has been kind of obviously applied mostly to like hazy IPAs, NEPAs, some West Coast styles, but um, really kind of in that building more intense aroma in those styles and, and kind of complementing the aroma profiles that are already there. Or if you're kind of going after some sought after hops, like New Zealand hops or, um, you know, Citra, the profiles on those are, are pretty thial driven. So 
having these styles come through in fermentation is just kind of building a um a nice like intensity of more of that New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc or or tropical kind of um yeah almost it's like when you didn't get it out of your sought after hops maybe you wanted to augment it a little bit more with building more intense tropical um, aromas with these yeast. So it's really been ideal for just a direct replacement for your typical hazy IPA strain. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's people playing in all sorts of varieties with it. We have a dialyzed lager strain that when it's used in a lager, it certainly is very distinct. It, it doesn't really resemble lager anymore. Um, so that's been really a unique kind of aroma driver for a more simple kind of um, style that, you know, typically is meant to be very clean, but now is really just a clean canvas for the massive loads of styles that you can layer on top of it. Where do you see, or have you seen, um, additional uses or where, I mean, brewers are by and large an experimental lot and they like to uh, try to take something that might be good for one thing and apply it somewhere else. H have you seen that yet with thylized yeasts? Has, has that been, Yeah. Has, has it been going beyond the tropical? Yeah, I think um, some of the interesting applications have been going into, you know, mixed fermentations or even like, um, like food aged lagers or or just building different aromas and, and styles that are already kind of different, you know, kind of exploring how to push flavor complexity um, and how it works into these other other beer styles. That's been interesting. I haven't seen a lot of people take these into more of the um, dark beers because really it's not as complimentary. Like sure. It's hard enough to build a, a really beautiful uh hop aroma in like a black ipa and i think you know those tend to be more piney citrus driven than tropical right so going into some of the darker styles hasn't really been as popular really hasn't been hasn't been done very much at all um, i feel like there are brewers listening to this right now saying hold my beer and watch this but yeah <laughs> yeah right let me show you how it's done <laughs> <laughs> or at least you know it's uh fail trying or yeah. Try failing. Yeah. I either mean, way. I, I, you know, if, if you kind of think about it, coffee is another way of applying, you know, how do roast and tropical or roast and fruity come together in a very pleasant way. And, and certainly it, it works. It's just probably more challenging. <laughs> All right. Earlier you brought up, um, the various styles of West Co or uh, of IPA, uh, and we're talking about the the New England style, the NEPA styles um, that are out there, and obviously, again, you know, dry hopping is not going away anytime soon. That style is not going to lose um, its dominance anytime soon. Um, and while I know that there is a lot, a lot, a lot of focus on the hops themselves, um, there are really critical steps that should be taken when it comes to yeast management um, and those and those styles. Um, I'm sure there's manuals. I'm sure that there's tips and tricks. Uh, I'm sure that there's great frustrations uh, that that crop up when you see what 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 certain folks are doing. But 
um, you know, we're still at the earlier part of, of, of the year and, you know, we can start to build good habits. Um, what are some of the good habits that you'd like for people, brewers to be thinking about when it comes to, you know, yeast management, especially with those uber popular styles? Yeah. Um, well, overall, I think the biggest challenge of, of dry hopping and yeast management is it's getting effective repitching and making sure that you have a healthy yeast source that you can use in your brewery. Um, and, and I'd definitely avoid repitching anything that's been dry hopped. So um, that then makes it challenging as far as when you're going to time your dry hop. So I think there's like, obviously there's the challenges of like making sure you have healthy yeast, you're not getting hop creep, you get good repitching. And then the benefits of, okay, now we want to boost flavor development. We're using these strains that can um, biotransform aroma compounds and fermentation. And then there's, you know, the benefits of certain strains and making hazy beer, they actually make the haze. So how do we get the best of both worlds? I think um, is, is one of those things that you just have to start working and mastering within your recipes. Um, the methods of repitching on dry hop beer, people have explored top cropping, which is, is certainly doable. It just comes with challenges with hygiene and, and storage. And, you know, if you're not, if you're used to repitching your strain, your house strain every seven days, because that's how your fermentations time out, um, that dramatically changes with top cropping because you're cropping the yeast every two days. Um, so, you know, that in itself is definitely an option, but it makes it a little bit more challenging to, to have that yeast source um, maintained at the brewery. So I would highly recommend, especially if you're starting out the year, you're thinking about how to maximize your repitching. Think about pitching after your, or pitching and then dry hopping after your, your harvested your yeast off the tank. So that's going to time out really at the, basically the point where you hit terminal gravity. So usually most strains um, used in hoppy styles are running like a seven day fermentation. Um, you can harvest on day seven, dry hop on day seven or dry hop on day eight, but make sure you have that healthy yeast coming off the tank before it's dry hopped. Um, and I think a lot of people have thought maybe that's too late for dry hopping because they want to get a dry hop in day one, day two. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the drawback there is you're, you're not able to reuse your yeast. And then, you know, the early dry hopping may be, might be just more volatile through fermentation. You're not necessarily getting the best benefit of those aroma compounds. If they're blowing off in fermentation, you can smell it, you know, you smell it in the brewery when they're, when they're fermenting with hops. So, um, holding off and, and doing it when fermentation is mostly complete helps to keep those compounds in the beer. And, um, we've seen the benefits of this for haze as well. You've got certain strains that are producing haze in the beer with a dry hop, but the later the dry hop, the better. So early dry hopping actually isn't helpful. You're minimizing the amount of haze you would produce. Um, and late oh. dry hopping is really where it starts to make, make and maintain the stable haze. So, um, we did it. We did a couple of talks on this last year that are really awesome. I hope to talk about it more um, coming up in the workshop. But the the 
benefit of late dry hopping is certainly you're still getting a lot out of it. So um, main takeaway is, you know, think first about your yeast management. And then second, you're probably going to get benefits with haze. Um, Biotransformation has been shown to happen post-fermentation, similar to dry hop um, or diacetyl clearance. Like those yeast still are metabolically active and these Sometimes these aroma compounds can be, you know, converted even better post-fermentation. There's there's some regulation and fermentation that limits their conversion. So the yeast might even have a better time with some of those compounds in late fermentation. So, yeah. A lot of, lo- yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> there's just a lot to think about, but really, I, I, you know, especially with how difficult it is to, to, balance out the costs, uh, on your recipe. This is one of the things that could be just a major breakthrough in a brewery if they're effectively repitching. I dig that. Um, I, I also, I, I love the research that goes into this as well. And, 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 and the thought process. And, um, obviously if you're you know, running research and developments, this is, this is what you do all day, but, um, wh- where are you finding inspiration these days where are you finding solutions to problems or you know creating innovation that benefits beer um yeah i it's you know i was a brewer for five years in in production before starting this job in research and development so a lot of my inspiration comes from really what brewers are doing because I, I remember kind of tools that I had at hand and kind of the options and, and just thinking about how to make the best beer. And um, that still definitely drives me like what either are we making new tools or are we bringing more education so that these beers are, you know, hitting their mark. Um, so that's kind of one of the major inspirations for me. And um, I also get really inspired like brewers. I get inspired by seeing new options and flavors like you know new hop varieties or um malt kind of is has definitely been a major driver for conversation more recently and just thinking about how those raw materials can be used and how the yeast is going to interact with them is definitely part of my passion and interest and and what drives kind of some of these experiments um yeah if if it's something that I didn't understand or was difficult while I was brewing, that's certainly something that I think about a lot. Were, were things, am I just sort of imagine when you were just talking about some of the other ingredients as well, it, it sort of occurred to me that for a while, at least it felt like all of the ingredients were siloed and that now there is open conversation and consideration among the various four main ingredient industries. Am I imagining that or has there actually been a shift in the conversations? Yeah, I think people, um, I think honestly, there's probably been a shift. I think like just the attention to new varieties of hops that explore different aromas. That was something that was definitely a shift. I think previously it was much more about like alpha acid content kind of 
um, you know, there were certain hops that were used for certain styles and, you know, the noble hops were certainly a feature for like a lager, but um, I think now the it's shifted in conversation, just people are much more interested in kind of exploring the, um, I guess the variety of aromas that could come through instead of just more of the, the like kind of brewing purposes of these ingredients. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, can I ask you about yeast hybrids? Cause I know I've had conversations with Lance. I've had, uh, uh, other, other discussions, um, and you keep, you know, and it, I was just thinking about hops and how, you know, the breeding programs are bringing out uh, all, all sorts of fun, new, fun, new things, but um, similar, maybe it's not similar. I, I never no, passed science I class. Similar. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, I always realize when I'm talking to scientists that like, my high school, my freshman high school uh, science teacher would be like, don't, don't you dare try to ask questions like this uh, idiot. So um <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm working through some things right now. Um, <laughs> but talk, if you can, just a little bit about you know, where these hybrids are right now and the potential that they have in beer uh, as as we go forward, or even beyond beer as we go forward. Yeah. Um, so there's, I guess there's kind of two angles to developing a new brewing strain you could do a very targeted method like we do with making genetically engineered strains for you have an idea of of the exact change and the exact kind of um result in that strain and so you can do it very targeted and then yeast hybrids is kind of the opposite which makes it even more there's a lot of kind of potential for discovering new things and building new aromas with with yeast hybrids, if that makes sense. Um, so just putting two yeast strains together and, and having them make babies, you know, it's basically like, you know, taking two humans and saying, what's your kid going to be like? Certainly sometimes they come out just like the parents, yeah. um, good or bad. Yeah, <laughs> and, I was then, say. <laughs> and then other times they come out completely different and you're like, I can't see resemblance to either of the parents here. So that's similar on, on the yeast hybrid um, and even just thinking about even pushing that even further. And if you continue the mating of, of strains to, to exaggerate the phenotype, it's like dog breeding. So eventually you get to something that's hypoallergenic and, you know, non-shedding or, you know, fluffy hair, what have you. Um, but they're traits that wouldn't occur naturally or probably are less likely to be, um, kind of out there already being used or something that were, they were very uh, kind of uh, segregated into an, into a, that type of a breed, if that makes sense. So that's how you would continue breeding yeast strains to exaggerate certain traits. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the yeast hybrid arena is, a, is certainly still something, you know, we we started using yeast hybrids as a way of building new flavor combinations or brewing traits. Um, and I think that's been challenging because it's it is kind of like closing, you know, closing your eyes and saying, okay, well, maybe there'll be something really cool that comes out of this. Um, but it's certainly, I think that's one of the 
more interesting ways to go about it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's, there's a lot of sciences that way too. Sometimes you have a really good idea what's going to happen. And sometimes you just look at, wait and see, and you kind of, you develop this without having a clear idea what you're going to get. And then you have to just screen through everything and say, okay, is anything actually interesting here? <laughs> um, and that's, that's really cool too. I, again, going back to uh, my poor science background, but also just the way that public perception works a little bit these days. I've had, I've had this conversation. I've sort of come around on it, but when you say GMO, there are folks who hear those three letters and go, Oh no, 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 no. Uh, and they, they back away slowly kind of thing. Yeah. Um, do you want to, can, can you speak to sort of just dispelling that for a moment? Yeah. Um, well, I think traditionally or kind of like more historically, GMO has been made into a little bit of a controversial and kind of scare, a little bit of a fear, fear for a lot of people um, because it was mainly big, 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 big corporations who were putting a lot of restrictions on the the resulting crop or, you know, um, also potentially, you know, just not understanding really how these would um, impact the environment or, you know, e ecology. Um, so I think it was initially just one of those very fearful things for people. Um, and the methodology was less targeted back then too. You kind of like randomly bombarded cells with a lot of DNA and you let it hit wherever it would in the, in the plant's genome. And, and then um, you wouldn't know much more about if it disrupted something in the plant or, you know, how it would turn out. So, I mean, that was obviously the, even back then, the ways of, of getting these plants or these GMO ingredients through the regulatory process was heavily involved in a lot of screening and a lot of um, money going into that. So I wouldn't say it was worse then. They were still doing a lot of regulatory screening and making sure these things were safe. Um, it was just, the public perception was a little bit like off and, and certainly a lot of hesitation. Now, I think the conversation has shifted to completely different narrative because there's a lot of solutions these engineered organisms can bring. I think, um, you know, if you can potentially study and come up with an effective solution for mitigating some disease, pressure or some drought or some um, heat tolerance. Yeah. Those are kind of things that we're seeing major need for um, in our changing world. So um, yeah, it's kind of shifting because it's a tool that we have and, and to make sure that um, we can feed the world, you know, there's some certain things that we're, we're needing to do, I think. Um, and there's a, these are really effective ways of, of um, being very targeted. So I don't know. I think that maybe the conversation has shifted because we have safer ways of doing it. And we also maybe have a really great application for these as well. You know, yeah. they're, they're bringing some solutions to us where, where we really need solutions. So, and in the, in the engineered yeast world too, um, it's bringing new flavor. I think the weird, the, maybe I wanted to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. The alternative to, you know, these plants allowing us to have better yields and better 
disease resistance or, or drought tolerances that, that it's not necessarily giving us those benefits in, in beer with these modified yeast strains, but we're seeing, you know, ways of improving the quality of beer and maybe reducing beer loss. Um, there's strains that you can use that reduce diacetyl. So you don't have hang ups in the cellar or potential issues in packaged product down the road. These yeast are able to clear up the diacetyl better than conventional strains. Or um, there's also yeast like the thiolized yeast that are producing flavor and aroma um, without necessarily relying specifically on one hop variety or, or, or a, you know, yield in the hop um, variety that may not be possible. So, yeah, I think it's, it's just providing different solutions and more of a sustainable brewing approach. Um, and that's, that's awesome. I mean, that, that helps the brewer financially, it helps um, the brewer and their community and, and lessening the impact of our industry. So I think that's a pretty, pretty awesome benefit. So. I love that. Um, as you think about where beer is right now, um, what's the challenge that you want to put forward to brewers? You know, I, I, I feel like we're in a great era of progress and uh, folks are thinking about quality like never before. They're thinking about innovation like never before. And that's really saying something because the last 40 years have been really focused on that. But um, what's the challenge that you want to put forward to to brewers you know here you know, still relatively at the start of a of a new year uh i guess it that's a difficult one i think it's <laughs> gonna you know we we will see some pressures and some you know some hard hard times here and there um but to do well in these climates just making sure your focus is on you know being a responsible citizen, you know, making sure you're driving sustainability in your brewery, making sure you have, um, you can appeal to many audiences and that you have a purpose. I think those are, for me, really important when I see breweries being very successful. I see them having some more, um, more of an engagement with the community and, and, and understanding that you know, it's not just about profit for them, but there's more to it. So I think that one for me, I think building your customer base and loyalty and your purpose is one of those things that I just think maybe needs some focus and attention and especially in the aspects of sustainability. I like, I like seeing breweries working towards minimizing their wastewater, you know, all of the important aspects of um, you know, kind of finding more sustainable packaging material, um, reducing their CO2 usage. Those are not that hard to do for, for small breweries. And I think that would, for me, help with the, their economical, pers you know, building maybe better cost analysis for them, not having to pay for the wastewater treatment or pay for excess CO2 but yeah. also big impacts on, on kind of how they affect their local community and environment. A lot of food for thought. And yeah. I, and I, of, and I, yeah. 
Yeah, I think okay. driving quality is one of those things. Like we, everybody's just upping their game. You know, everybody has the ability to make a very wonderful lager beer. So, you know, making sure that you do your best to bring good quality beer to the market and and always have your best product out there. Um, I'm seeing, honestly, like I just, every year I feel like I'm drinking better and better beer. So I think people realize that and they're doing it, but it's, it's even more important. I think nowadays. That's so cool. Um, thank you. Thanks for, for all of the insight. Thanks for the crash course in cool things that are happening in yeast right now. And again, giving a lot of good food for thought for for brewers in the in the new year and giving them the tools to to make some cool beers. So I hope folks go out and and they and they start doing that. Um Laura, thanks for taking the time and being on the show this month. Oh of course. Thank you. Again, a reminder, Burns will also be holding a yeast online workshop with BYO on the afternoon of Friday, February 24th, 2023. You can learn more and sign up at BYO.com. More in a moment, but first, thanks to this episode's sponsors, and I hope you'll give them a closer look. Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today or go to grainfather.com to learn more. We're also brought to you by Fermentus. Hey, nano brewers, discover Safe Brew BR 8 by Fermentus, the first dry bread for secondary fermentation in bottle and casks. Discover this yeast strain, which helps you add a slightly funky, specific phenolic character to your beers. Available in 100 gram and 5 grams packaging. Discover more about Safe Brew BR 8 or other yeasts by visiting fermentus.com. Don't forget, you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts, watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details. Now, into the brew house to talk about how these yeasts and more are being put to good use. Adam Sislak grew up in the Chicagoland area and fell in love with craft beer while in college, which eventually snowballed into founding Maplewood Brewery and Distillery in 2014. Maplewood was the first combination brewery and distillery in the state, and one of a very few in the country when it first opened. Since opening, it's consistently grown every year, won numerous GABF medals, among other awards, and are now among the top producers in the state by volume. This is done through contract brewing, as well as on a smaller system in their tap room. The brewery always tries to innovate and try modern techniques, says Adam, but it also pays due respect to classic styles and methods of brewing. Adam was heading up production until a few years ago when Roger was promoted to head brewer. Roger Cazellas was inspired by hops and turned a love of home brewing into a career. He says he loves every aspect of brewing, especially the intersection of art through recipe creation and the science of process. 
He's worked at a number of Chicago breweries, including Forbidden Root and Corridor, before joining Maplewood, where he gets to feature all different styles, from the classics to innovations in yeast, and while also looking into implementing new hop techniques. They joined me from Chicago. So obviously, I want to talk about yeast uh, in, in in just a moment, but I'm I'm always sort of curious to hear from folks on the ground what is happening where they are. So what's Chicago like these days, beer wise? What what is exciting to you all about what's happening in the marketplace and and being in the marketplace? Well, I would say Chicago is pretty fully saturated. You know, we got a we got a lot of breweries here now. Um, I think last counts with Chicago still the top like number of breweries in in a major city in, yeah in chicago land area i think we're we've outpaced denver and even portland um greater portland area for most like breweries per capita in the greater chicago area but yeah so we we have a lot going on um what's exciting is i mean at least for us is being in the backyard or not even backyard being neighbors practically of Omega Yeast Labs, mm -hmm. who uh, we have a great relationship with. So whereas I would say a couple years ago when cryo hops and stuff started first, you know, catching a little more muster behind them, um, that was real exciting for us. But now uh, we're on a bit of a wave with new yeast. Uh, I don't know if you want to call them products, but new yeah. yeast our new yeast types, styles, yeah. uh, all sorts of things with, with yeast happening now. Also uh, new yeast technologies mm -hmm. even. So that's exciting for us to uh, see happening and, and have access to it uh, since we are, you know, so close to the actual lab that produces a lot of this stuff and, you know, know them. So um, that's been a nice little benefit. Um, I, I yeah. feel like, I feel like this is sort of a, an easy question, but I, I'm curious about, the complex answer of as a brewer where's the excitement for yeast coming from like where's that drawn from yeah so it's it's the innovation and in style so when we're looking to do something different um we're looking to some of the yeast companies and what what's on the forefront of their innovation um and that kind of catalysts our creativity on, on new beer styles um such as uh, a, new, a newer trend for sour beers. We'll kind of talk about some of these yeast trends later as well, but um, there's a yeast that produces uh, lactic acid instead of using bacteria to make lactic acid. And we've kind of transitioned our sour program uh, solely to use this product because it is, it is our quick sour program. Our quick sour program. Okay. It's good. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it just, it helps us with production time. It helps us uh, alleviate some of the uh, pains of of sanitizing using bacteria in the brew house or tying up uh, a kettle for kettle souring. Um, and it, it's great that these innovations that these yeast companies are doing are are they're looking to the brewers and how can they enhance our product and uh, help us, you know, cut cut down on time and cost and also out different different types of products that you know we get really excited about roger i i how much production time is this actually saving when you're when you're you, what's that 
Yeah, I would say a ton. Um, yeah, for the production time we save just specifically for this um, lactic producing yeast, um, sour VCA, uh, we're, we're cutting down at least a day on our kettle souring time. Also, we're getting a oh. more consistent product. I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, no. Consistent how? So the consistency, we, we kind of can map it out and we get a uh, drop in, in acid and pH and also a, drop, a linear drop in gravity as when we do doing kettle sours, it's a little give and take there. We don't always have the consistency. It's not a, a direct drop with the amount of uh, lactic uh, lactobacillus that you pitch. You have to hold that at a certain temperature. This this we can kind of hold at one temperature, which is our regular fermentation temperature, and we see kind of a linear drop. We get this nice lactic acid production right right in the lag phase, right up front, and then it also produces alcohol as the gravity goes down, and it's it's really uh, the ease of production makes makes it makes it great. I mean, it's a fast moving um product that that we love and and more of a neutral flavor as well compared to kettle sour yeah kettle souring you yeah, can Adam, sort of yeah. often pick it out real easily it it almost has a say like a house characteristic to it um uh in our experience uh that's you know it is what it is it's part of it but uh part of the i guess interesting thing about the lactic yeast is um i don't know that they're quite there yet, but I know a bunch of manufacturers are coming up with versions that can target certain pH ranges. So if you just want to uh, kiss a sour, you can use this one or ferment it at a different temperature. If you want more sour, mm -hmm. you can use, you know, the other version of it or ferment it different and really target consistent levels of tart, sour, mm -hmm. um, a lot more, I guess, like Roger said, consistently and and easily than some of the other methods. Yeah. And, when? Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. No, no, no. You you were you were just I I was just gonna step on you. So go ahead. Sure. I'll just elaborate too. Um, because Adam was saying that the these yeast companies are kind of dialing in the terminal acid on these products. Um, we we get to experiment too while they're experimenting. So we're we're doing co pitching with. Um, some neutral ale yeast to kind of dial in our terminal acid, our terminal pH, and uh, kind of have fun with that. Or we could we could buffer some unfermentable sugars to kind of offset if we're if we're getting a super low pH balance. So it's kind of fun. It helps us experiment with some of our our small batches and and dial in a really fun product that we can you know, pair with with fruit or other other flavors and play well off of uh, the fermentation that we get. I wonder, was it an easy transition to start using this yeast? Um, I mean, I know that there is innovation in the beer space. I know brewers are always trying to um, find new ways to do things or to improve upon uh, a new ways. But then there also seems to be a resonance sometimes of, um, well, the old ways work well, and why are we going to 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 change things up? In making this change, were there philosophical conversations that took place am i overthinking this too much uh i would say i mean just from from my experience and i, I don't know if roger's gonna agree but i don't think any of us were 
super, super thrilled with kettle souring in general. Correct. Just because it, it got the job done pretty quickly. Um, but there was so much room for, you know, our boil kettle is that we, you know, did it in kettle souring is connected to the, to the outside. If it's a windier day and it happens to be sucking a little, you know, maybe your temperature drops a degree. So in the morning you're, you're at a higher pH because it was a lower temperature than if you were slightly warmer and the, and the bacteria worked a little quicker and all that kind of finicky stuff that went into kettle souring along with that kettle sour nose um, that none of us really truly loved um, kind of went away. And if it were as easy as pitching sour VCA and then fermenting along, especially when we do it with fruit because we, we don't have a pasteurizer. So we ferment out our fruits and do all that stuff. It just made that process seemingly go a lot easier and um, kind of eliminated uh, a lot of the negative that we saw with the other process and i'll have no go ahead i'll I'll add really quick um i couldn't wait to use this i've been reading about this product for years and i i was jumped at the bit for the first time to to actually apply this to to brewing um you know i'm I'm not crazy i I never loved uh kettle sours we tried everything we tried every like lactobacillus strain blend and um it was just it's hard to get a consistent you know again that that's like a thing i'll keep beating consistency even even on a small scale even even as a home brewer you know you want your beers to to be consistent consistently good to get a ph if you're dialing in whatever recipe that you're that you're trying to make so i i read about this and i i couldn't wait to do it so i was uh, chomping at the bit and um just to add as well uh philosophically as you, as you mentioned um i think the only thing that some people were a little hesitant. It is it is a GMO product, um, but we we have no no issues with that. In fact, we we embrace technology here. I think it I think it's great. We're getting a whole different product, whole different experimentation through through science, and um, and we love it. That's that's why we work work with these yeast companies on the on the forefront, um, such as Omega. They're they're on the cutting edge of these products, and they're they're working so hard um to, to unlock these these different compounds that these yeast can do and it's it's awesome we, we love it and what's drinker response been in I, response to the sour vca stuff yeah yeah um i i think they it's been really really great so one of our regular we have two main production i would say main because we don't have year-round stuff but we have stuff that we do every couple months um, with it. And there's a, like a lower alcohol fruited one. Um, that's our brunch punch series. And then there's a higher alcohol, more heavily fruited version essentially. Um, and people love it. And if anything, I think people are responding to the fact that the fruit and all the other stuff comes through a bit more. There's less mm-hmm. flavor you know from kettle souring clouding up the overall profile um and you're using the acid from the yeast to kind of you know accent you know you bite a piece of fresh fruit or eat a raspberry you know they're they're tart they're they have acid to it and you're kind of using that to amp up all the fruit in the beer 
Yeah, I think it's been a good reception and kind of seamless too. I don't think that we transitioned our program from kettle souring to this um, this lactic producing um, Saccharomyces, and we haven't really noticed, um, you know, any pushback or anything. And, we, and we've been transparent too. We we advertise it, what we use. So um, I think it's been a great reception. And like Adam said, we, it's more of a neutral canvas that we could play, have the flavors play off of, which is awesome. That's something that we we really like. Speaking of, what, of what's sort of grabbing uh, consumer interest as as well as um, you know brewers as well, we started briefly before we we launched into all this, uh, talking about uh, the thiols and the thiolized yeasts uh, uh, that are out there. Um, you all have been doing some cool stuff with it, I'm told, and has have the consumers have the drinkers come along yeah um yeah. so we have one that's in the fermenter now called sneaker beast that uses uh uh thialized chico strain um from omega they're always gonna you know omega hooks us up with this but gotta plug those guys well they i mean <laughs> we, they they allowed us to check out um their uh British Ale five oh oh one one version when they were first working on it and before they had it released to the public, um, and that's their hazy strain that well not hazy strain but everyone uses for a hazy strain, um, the thialized version and it's been awesome. It's been another I think arrow in the quiver to really pump up certain citrus notes and. Um, it's something new you know it 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 has uh we get a lot of like in in the sneaker beast one we get a lot of passion fruit and very very bright notes that are i don't know how to i guess explain it it's passion fruit but it's not hot passion fruit it's it's its own kind of thing going on where they're similar where if you use hops that had those aromatics in them but it's unique you know it's not it's noticeably not a hop aromatic mm -hmm. um so it's just another layer uh of that you can add to these beers and a lot of people think that there's fruit in it you know or like you know yeah. grapefruit or something like that in there and it's all from the yeast so um we've we've saw like response to the pail in particular people are way into it so that's been awesome yeah it's like a whole different flavor and aroma profile that it's it's similar to hops but but different and uh, we we like to kind of play with it and push the boundaries so with this beer specifically with the thiol yeast um th this one is the west coast so it's got the chico uh blended yep. in with the thiol um it, it i find it really pushes those those uh passion fruit aromas out um it's with the neutral base it's uh with the other one with the, the hazier the english strain you kind of get those other tropical fruits at boost however uh we use um mash hops and those really add the the precursor theals um and this yeast just takes those and boosts them and we get this amazing aromas and um we love it um we're able to kind of hit hit a little less uh hops in the whirlpool and and let those compounds from the fermentation just shine yeah are, are you often running trials sort of testing or yeah i would say we well it took us a few goes around to uh 
uh, nail in how we can get um, an appropriate, I guess, amount of precursors into the wort uh, for fermentation. And uh, that was, you know, we worked, uh, had some good recommendations as, as to how to do that uh, from Laura at Omega, but Dr. Laura, Burns. Dr. Laura Burns, Dr. Laura Burns. Yes. And, um, She's the best. We, as Roger mentioned, we, we have moved to mash hopping and what do you use for sneakery cascade cascade? Yeah. So we were using saws and, and we we're just doing a little research and cascade has like the most amount of the, the precursors. precursors. So yeah. it's kind of, you know, we're, we get to play with cascade again, which is fun. Cause that was like, we, we got our, you know, homebrewing chops doing cascade and centennial IPAs and they kind of fell out of favor and we get to do that again. That's fun. That's awesome. Um, think, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the interesting thing with this for me is there's to explain it because we were asked this, um, by our sales team, a week or so, a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. you know, what is a, a quick and easy way to explain this to your average person who doesn't know anything about yeast or doesn't really know what files are yeah. or any of yeah. that. And um, kind of dance around talking about it like it's uh, Sauvignon Blanc wine, because a lot of these deals that are, are produced are the same ones produced by uh, wine fermentation specifically you know in in new zealand in that area and it just happens that um wine uh vines grape vines not wine vines grape vines have a lot of the precursors in them and uh you know just the plant life out there and the terroir lends itself to having a lot of precursors in the plant matter so when they ferment uh the wine you get all those beautiful grapefruit, passion fruit, gooseberry, um, cat pea notes, which we like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. you know, you get all those notes that are found in Sauvignon Blanc wine because uh, the wine yeast is capable of processing the precursors and releasing those styles. Um, so if you explain it in that way and say, hey, it's like, Think of a beer with almost Sauvignon Blanc notes, and people are like, "Oh, well, that makes sense." And and it, it's been cool because we we all love white wine and yeah. and those things. So when we were first tipped off to this yeast, um, we're like, "That sounds amazing." Yeah, we can pair that with hops. So these these citrus notes would go great with X, Y, and Z dry hops, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And we're just kind of getting started with it. Really, mm -hmm. we have a couple beers we've brewed with this more than once that we brewed semi regularly. But um, I could see us going down a rabbit hole with this a, a bit more as time goes on. Where else? Do you hope the rabbit hole can take you guys with with yeast these days? You know, I, I, I feel like so much of the conversation was focused for such a long time on just the hops themselves. But, um, you know, yeast have always sort of been the the unsung hero. But with the advancements, with the, you know, the R&D that's out there with, I, I think, just the general interest that brewers and drinkers have these days, um, there's a lot to discover, a lot to explore. Um, where do you hope that this leads you? 
Yeah. Well, um, the, the end is endless, you know, Let, let's see what <laughs> happens. Right. Um, I, I want to see other, if they can unlock other compounds, um, you know, we know, we know what compounds that we get from dry hopping, you know, are these, can we replicate these in fermentation? You know, the, a big movement came kind of during the hazy IPA craze of biotransformation, right? You're taking a compound that's found in one compound and biotransforming it through fermentation to another compound that's similar or better. Um, so I think that that's um, on the on the forefront. That's going to be something that, uh, you know, we're going to look to some of the yeast uh, labs and researchers to to take the lead on and and um, see what they get. Um, I'll say another another one that we're experimenting with another newer yeast um, brand called Nova Lager. Um, and it's it's a fast fermenting lager strain that you can ferment at higher temperatures and you get a neutral lager flavor. So that that's uh, that's something that we're really excited about. Um, I know a lot of you know that that's philosophically you know lagers need to take time and you shouldn't take shortcuts shortcuts with pilsners. But as as lagers are gaining traction and getting more popularity, you know take tank time is is uh is money for breweries um so the if we're able to put out a product that ferments neutral and we really love the flavor um just in a shorter amount of time that's great i mean that's that's a best case scenario so that's something that we're starting to play with um on the lager end too that's awesome that's awesome adam did you want to jump in or was that uh no i was cover it I think that that covers it pretty pretty well. I I know Omega has some yeast that like really boosts, like for example, for Hefeweizens, they have a like a crazy banana forward one, right? And they have yeah. um, shit. What was Laura? She was mentioning they had a few of these, and I know I think you can you can get the Hef one now, um, but they had another couple in the works that. I don't want to misspeak because I, I forget <laughs> what, what, and yeah, but there are certain fruit compounds that they could amplify. I'm sure. Or, I'm sure or, John will have Laura on. Yeah. Full podcast. She, she, she was on this, she was on the show right before you guys. Oh, there you so go. yeah. <laughs> no, she's awesome. I mean, we're, we're, we're totally thrilled when Omega is like, Hey, we get the call from Laura, be like, Hey, I got something you guys want to try. And we, you know, invite it with open arms we, we love it we love to do the r&d for them and i think if there's a way to as they do this maybe maybe um there's a way to get some of these fruity citrusy compounds notes whatever they stick in the beer i don't know this is still kind of too early for us to really mm -hmm. tell is yeah um get them to stick in the beer uh, longer. So, you know, IPAs are super perishable. Those volatile compounds blow off and die off pretty quickly. And a hoppy beer that's a week old tastes different than a hoppy beer that's a month old, you know, despite your best packaging processes, all that stuff, it's just kind of the nature of it. Mm -hmm. But maybe there's a route to getting, um, you know, not permanency, but a much more, I guess, sticking around time in the stuff we want to stick in the beer and helping um maybe a two-week-old ipa pays as, as great as a one-day-old ipa and 
using less hops, but using yeast that amplifies certain notes. So I think there, that's in a an exciting path in my perspective. I'd be curious to see how this goes as these you know yeast companies keep fiddling with stuff and keep coming out with new, I guess, versions of of yeast that can unlock things that are, I guess, previously weren't available at least to us. Yeah. Yeah, I think and, and it's nice having the collaboration too with brewers talking to yeast companies of you know, hey, can you do this or have you thought about this? Because it does lead to advancements. Yeah, and I think like it, like Adam was saying, like if there's something like shelf life, right, that'd be a game changer if there can if you can get a yeast um, have a compound that it can like scrub out oxygen, you know, like antioxidant properties mm-hmm. um, that could. increase shelf life that would be that'd be huge for breweries um i know that that's been the age-old issue for packaging right it's like your second your beer leaves the brewery it's a ticking time bomb there's only a finite amount of time so if there's there's a yeast product that 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 can be manufactured that can can aid that in any way that would be awesome that would be really helpful on a for a brewery well gentlemen thank you for sharing insights from the brew house and everything that uh that you guys are doing it 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 sounds really exciting and uh um i'm glad that there's innovation and progress on this front so thanks for sharing sharing your stories and everything that's going on i really appreciate you being on the show this month no problem john it's it's a pleasure thanks for having us how are you innovating with yeast tell us by emailing nano at byo.com and I'll invite you to head over to byo.com slash nanopodcast. There, you can subscribe to the newsletter, the magazine, and catch up with great pro-brewing content. New episodes of this show are released on the 15th of every month. So subscribe now and never miss a show when it's released. And you can also do us a favor by leaving feedback on your podcast platform of choice or by emailing nano at byo.com or checking in with us on all of the BYO social media channels. As always, thank you to this episode's sponsors. Grainfather. Whether you're looking for a brewing system to create trial recipes or you want to easily add production capacity to your nano brewery, the Grainfather G70 electric brewing system is your solution. The G70 has a 70 liter capacity, allowing you to easily make half barrel batches of beer in a compact system that won't take up valuable floor space. Ask your BSG sales manager for more information about the G70 today or go to grainfather.com to learn more. We're also brought to you by Fermentus. Hey, nano brewers, discover Safe Brew BR 8 by Fermentus, the first dry bread for secondary fermentation in bottle and casks. Discover this yeast strain, which helps you add a slightly funky, specific phenolic character to your beers. Available in 100 gram and 5 grams packaging. Discover more about Safe Brew BR 8 or other yeasts by visiting fermentus.com. Don't forget, you can get access to hundreds of hours of on-demand videos covering small craft brewery strategies with BYO's new Nano Plus membership. Learn from craft beer experts watching replays of past NanoCon seminars, plus a complete library of in-depth workshops. You'll also have full online access to all of BYO's digital content and an annual print magazine subscription. Check out byo.com slash nanoplus for more details.
I'm John Hall, and you can still find me weekly behind the microphone on the Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast from All About Beer. You can find it where podcasts are found, and I hope you'll tune in. Our theme music was created by Scott McCampbell, and we thank him for that. And once again, be sure to check out byo.com slash nanopodcast for all of your nano brewing needs. And for now, we wish you all the best for a small but successful brew day.